Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome on a wonderful Thursday. I'm Rob Starr, along with Mr. Chris Davies, and we are the host of The Water Zone. Hope everybody's having a good day today. It's beautiful out here in the Arizona area, and I think it's probably the same out in the California. Is that correct, Mr. Davey? It is awesome today. Got into the mid-70s, man. Hey, Rob, guess what? Yes. I'm going to be in your state tomorrow. I know. I know. It's going to be you... 93 on Easter Day where you I... are. I know. I'll be in my pool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's getting... be... Go ahead. I'll be in my daughter's pool. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's getting warmer and warmer and warmer, and uh, that's a good thing. Um, you know, last week I was in uh, Connecticut, and we were doing the uh, kickoff for the Wyland Foundation uh, for the National Mayor's Challenge, and uh, Wyland painted for two straight days for at least twelve to thirteen hours a day and 42 degrees temperature with winds blowing about 30 miles an hour. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I sent you, I think you received the uh, time-lapse video we sent you? I saw it. That was awesome. It like two days narrowed down into two and a half minutes. Yeah. And uh, this thing was probably about 300 feet long by about uh, th- 30, 40 feet high. He did uh, three whales and uh, a squid, giant squid. And uh, it was incredible. We had uh, NBC, uh, our affiliate NBC TV was out there and did, did a bunch of stuff. And uh, it was great. We had some state senators and mayors and city council people. And uh, the city was just awesome. He, just so our listeners know, Wyman had painted a building there 30 years ago. And after 30 years, you know, the paint sort of doesn't stay anymore. It kind of disappears. And uh, so he came out, the city approved everything, and had them come out and uh, redo this. But it is beautiful. It's, he thinks it's going to be the last wall, gigantic wall that he's painted. But uh, I don't, personally, I think he's going to do more. But uh, before that, he was in Washington, D.C. a couple of days before that, and they were at the uh, Washington uh, Zoo in, in uh, D.C., and he painted a big, gigantic mural uh, of a sea turtle and some other things over there. So uh, he had his work cut out for him, but the crowd was great into into thousands, and it was uh, just a great time. Even though it was cold and windy, it was it was beautiful over there. So that's what uh, that's what it was, and I'm glad I'm in California, uh, not California anymore, Arizona. So it's nice and warm, and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> they, they have Rob. They have uh, Wyland has a team of color restor- restoration guys that help him. They yep. go in and. Yeah, and, and they kind of renew, give a facelift to those uh, old faded. Uh, I've seen a couple of videos of those, too. They do a great job. Oh, excellent. These guys came to uh, uh, Connecticut, New London, Connecticut from, I'm sorry, uh, from uh, Cleveland, Ohio. And they came and uh, they had to prepare the, uh, I'll call it the canvas, the side of the building, and covered that with a, a blue paint. And then after it was all painted, and they had uh, two jail jig lift trucks, and after that was completed, then they had to put on the sealant. And again, at that cold temperature in the wind, it wasn't a it wasn't a fun thing to kind of watch. But the spray was going all over the place. But it came out beautiful, and uh, everybody was uh, ecstatic about it. So it was it was a good time. And uh, I, I hope I know one was going to do some more things, even though he says he's not. But uh, 
Anyway, the, the kickoff for the National Mayor's Challenge is in place. There's going to be over 4,800 cities that we know of at the moment participating in that. And uh, we're also going to have the mayor and the uh, state representatives from Connecticut on the radio here in the next couple of weeks talk about their experience with uh, with Wyland. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. Perfect. And speaking of somebody who paints a wonderful picture of words, it's Miss Chris Austin, the purveyor of Maven's Notebook. Welcome, Chris. Hey, everybody. How you doing? We're doing good. All are right. You, are you with the claw? Of course, always. <laughs> Qua time, yeah. No, I'm sitting up here. You know, we're we're actually expecting a little rain in this evening, but it's not going to be anything major, so it's not a big deal. But up here in North State, we're we're enjoying our full full filling up and almost full reservoirs and. Uh, Nice mild temperatures and, uh, you know, still some showers coming through. But, you know, uh, yeah, it's great. Well, Shasta got what, less than 30 feet to go? Yeah, it looks like Shasta's going to fill, you know, because there's still a lot of snow to melt. It's it's amazing. And I was just talking with some, you know, water friends of mine. I mean, talk about... Oh gosh, you could have never predicted this. No no one would ever go on record at the beginning of the season saying that we were going to have so much precipitation, you know, that we'd fill our reservoirs. No one could see that coming. And if they did, you would have thought them that, you know, that crap crazy. But uh well, what, 25 yeah. years, 25 years ago, that's kind of the data they got because <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have all the satellite information or anything else. You used to be the big joke about the weather guys, you know, they're always wrong. So, well, yeah. And that's been a bit of an issue too, because like really literally the forecasters did not see this coming and they have been working to do what they call what, sub-seasonal forecasting, you know, being able to predict in advance whether winter would be wet or dry. Um, and, and they've been specifically working towards this goal, and they really kind of majorly failed. So, uh, you know, back to the drawing board. Uh, you know, I remember when I took physical geography in college way back when, uh, the hardest one, the hardest unit we had was weather and, you know, air. It's just, you, you can't see it. And they're trying to explain concepts that are happening in the air. I mean, and, and my dad was a meteorologist. And, and you know, even so, I just, oh, you know, just, I, I it was the hardest thing. So... You know, and I do think forecasting is, it's just hard. Uh, my dad what got better at it, you know, through the years, because I'm talking like we're talking the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, before they had a lot of models. And, you know, he got better at it by kind of learning what usually happened when, you know, things lined up in a certain way. And I thought, you know, when I went to, uh, and the mountains play the big, you know, we live, I grew up in Reno, I guess I should explain this. I grew up in Reno, which is on the eastern side of the Sierra Nevada. And a lot of things change between the weather in the Central Valley as it goes over the Sierra Nevada. And he got really good at kind of 
understanding what would likely happen, but he never was always right. But, you know, he got better at it. And this was back before there were models. It was just forecasting skill. But I thought, okay, when I moved to Southern California, I'm like, okay, you got a big old ocean. There's no mountains in the way. But, you know, every once in a while, they, you know, and if you live, you, I'm sure you guys remember it. They would say, oh, big storm coming in. And the journalists would all run down to the beach and they'd be standing there waiting for the, the rain to come in and it wouldn't come in. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Uh, weather forecasting is hard. This, I guess that's the main, the main outcome of that. So. But it's a great job because you could be wrong, you know, 40, 50 percent of the time to keep your job. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, nowadays they all have these models. And when they when the forecasters talk up here, they're like, well, the, this model says this and the, that model says that. And we think it might come in between. But and sometimes they're just completely wrong, too. <laughs> yeah, most of those guys get big, cool names as well, Chris, right? They get, you know. <laughs> Dallas Rains and, you know. Well, that's when you're in the bigger market. Yeah. Up, up here in Chico, we're, we're sort of the, the training ground <laughs> for yeah. for journalists that go elsewhere. And we actually saw one of our good uh, journalists go off into the Sacramento, and now she's, you know, she's moved up in a market. But, you know, we're, we're a training ground up here in Chico, you know, population 95,000. But uh, but yeah, it's great, and you know it's 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 really useful. People they're really trying hard. They're trying hard to get it right. So, but anyways, now we have this massive massive snowpack up in our mountains, and our reservoirs are going to fill, and everybody is going to have uh, pretty much everybody's going to have all the water they want this year. And, and probably some people will have a lot more than what they want, unfortunately. Um, you know, the way the snowpack is, is laid out, it's not as thick as up here in the north. Uh, you know, it's, it's still above average. It's not record-breaking in terms of what we've had up here in the north state. But as you get to the central Sierras, it's, kind of right in line with it and when you get to the southern sierras it's just off the charts it's way above uh normal so the real problem is going to be uh the flooding in the south san joaquin valley which continues today and will continue in probably into june into the summer because uh, all that water in the mountain has got to come down and it's going to be quite interesting to see what happens uh, in Southern California, uh, because I do think that the water infrastructure, the flood in infrastructure is going to get tested. And we'll see, you know, we'll see how well it does. It did, and it could be exacerbated a lot if we get a hot spring as well, Chris, right? We oh, get, yeah. We get... Yeah, we get two or three weeks or extended period, <clears throat> however that long that may be, of high temperatures, especially um, in the eastern side of the uh, western side of the Sierras. Rather, it could be it could significantly increase the runoff. 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, from someone who spent 25 years in Southern California, you know, 80s and 90s in April or May, not unheard of. <laughs> Actually, you know, we're, we, we would be looking forward to that. Here comes summer, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, it's going to be, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the system handles it. They're going to be trying to capture as much to put it into groundwater as they can, and they have quite a system for it. And they and they have dams uh, up there in the San Gabriel Mountains, you know, dams that are meant to hold back this and and sort of help manage it. But uh, this is more snowpack, way more snowpack than they've ever had. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, the other thing is that all this cold snow that melts into these rivers, the rivers are going to be running high and they're going to be running cold. And this is a real issue for people who go recreating on the, on the rivers in the summertime, which is a lot of people. So, you know, just a reminder if you're, you know, it's, it's most dangerous for kids because kids can get swept off by current and, you know, and off they go. So, it's you know we're also setting up unfortunately for a dangerous summer so. but you are all right hey guys uh, yeah yeah I, I lost internet i'm on the phone call and i'm trying to get back here on the other but I'm, I'm with you again all right <laughs> we wondered where you went there for a while buddy but uh but no problem glad, yeah, glad just, to see you. yeah internet got lost so uh, <laughs> i'm doing it by mobile phone and but i'm trying to get back out to the system but Go ahead. Well, the State Water Board back uh, in the uh, end of, what was it? In, is end of March? I'm sorry. What, what month are we in? Yeah. This is April. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they held a workshop on the framework for uh, the legislation that they're getting ready to put in place. It's uh, making conservation a California way of life legislation. That was actually passed way back when Jerry Brown was governor. Um, and what's been happening since that time is that they've been working together with the stakeholders to try and come up with uh, indoor and outdoor standards individualized for each water district that would represent water efficient use. And there is an enforcement mechanism that that goes into that, which we can set aside for the moment. But this means that they're telling each water agency in the state here, you know, indoor standard is, I, I don't know, it's 55. It's, it's going down to 42 at some point in the future by 2030. But I think now it's something like 55 uh, gallons per person per day. And so you have an indoor standard and then you have an outdoor standard where they are trying to take into account local factors uh, and then they would have a budget for your outdoor water use. And it's really quite technical, the outdoor residential standards. But what they've done is they flied over the, the houses in each water district and they've looked at the ground and they come up with a uh, amount that's irrigated 
and what those landscapes would require. And they developed this whole like goal that is to be individualized for each water district. And there's just um, a lot of questions about this. And one of them is that the landscape, we have a, a what's called the MUELO, <laughs> another acronym, which is a landscape ordinance, a water efficiency landscape ordinance that uh, districts and counties and cities across the state have implemented. And this is what your your goal is to move your landscape down to, is this MUELO standard, which is a very water efficient landscape. And the question is, is that achievable? And the answer kind of seems to be not really. Uh, it's designed for a certain factor, but when they put landscapes in that are, you know, follow this standard, they're not seeing that performance that the the Muelo standard supposedly is supposed to to give you. Uh, and it's the difference between a design standard and, and real life, right? It is. You know, when you look at when you look at what the State Water Resources Control Board did with this, right? Looking at that framework and going back, I don't, I can't remember what it was, AD sixteen sixty eight, I think. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, we, you know, way back then. If you look, if you look at putting that into reality, right? Every every day use and where you and I and the and our family reside in our yards and all that kind of stuff. It really becomes difficult to implement when you think about. Um, you know, the needs and the responsibilities and and what a household goes through and what they want in, in their yard. So expecting everybody to to change from, um, you know, nice like Wisconsin-type lawn environment to desert application, uh, you know, as a result of, um, of the drought. I mean, it's a, that's, a, that's a pretty hard road to hoe. Yeah, and it's, you know, the other factor, too, that the water agents were bringing up is they were saying, you know, hey, look, we have all these great turf replacement uh, programs. I think your guest last week, uh, Fiona Sanchez with right. Irvine Ranch, says we're paying $5 a square foot, one of the highest rebates out there for lawn conversions. But people are not banging down the door to get them to do this. Um, it's, you know, they can't force people to convert their lawns and, you know, lawns are the easy thing. It's pretty easy to, you know, lay some grass down and have it mowed every so often. Um, these other landscapes, while they're very, you know, lovely, they do take, uh, some education and some changes in how you irrigate them. Uh, and now I think all of that, I mean, if when you see these, you can see how beautiful they are and you realize, you know, that's, you know, it's worth having, but people have to be willing to make these changes and you can't mandate people making these changes. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the hard part. And water districts are going to have a challenge, Chris, because they're, you know, maybe maybe you and I as individuals and other homeowners aren't mandated to do this, but that mandate or that those goals certainly come down from the state, from the Department of Water Resources, from from other agencies that are asking 
local and uh, smaller city and you know regional water agencies to meet these standards by whatever the year it was. I think, Chris, I'm not, I, I think it's 2030. Yeah, if I, if yeah I 2030. Right. Yeah, 2030. Yeah. And so, so they're certainly caught between, you know, a rock and a hard place because, you know, they've got essentially a mandate that says, hey, we've got to, you know, we've got to figure out how, how to do this with, and you mentioned, um, you know, Municipal Water District of Orange County. We had Joe Berg on a while ago and he was talking about, you know, the changes to the landscape factor and, how much dollars, uh, you know, each time they change that, how much dollars it costs to achieve that. So there's a cost factor to, do, to this, Chris, and it's not free. No, it's not. And as one of the commenters pointed out, everything that you asked us that's a cost is a cost to our ratepayers. But I thought the biggest kicker is when you looked at the study of how implementing these uh this ordinance would be, you know, what what are the changes? And you find out that, well, it's really, what was it, something like 28% of the population would bear the biggest burden, you know, of it. And and uh, we're talking, actually, you have my newsletter, so you might, you could probably pull that out. And most of those we're talking are, you know, Central Valley communities yeah. that are kind of disadvantaged uh, yeah. to a sense, and uh, you know, they're they can't implement these programs. They don't have the funding, and you know, it's just it, it's hard. You know, and one of the unintended consequences, uh, which I do believe, one of the things that Fiona Sanchez said at the at the water board is that. What people are ending up doing is putting down rocks and cactus because that's what we know how to do. But we're taking out trees, and you know, and that's another issue. You know, we we need to keep the trees. We need to keep the urban canopy. Yeah, that you're yeah. absolutely right. I mean, it, it it is. It's the fact that the biggest burden borne by this is borne by those who are, have the least fiscal ability to uh, to do it, and are going to be challenged most. Um, to be able to comply, kind of, kind of not fair, but uh, oh yeah, you know, as as you know, again going back to Fiona, uh, I'm practically I'm channeling Fiona, but you know she pointed out that yeah they do have lower income people in their district and they can't afford these lawn conversions to they can't afford to do them themselves yet they're still paying for them, which I'm sure is the story in a lot of places you know who wouldn't mind having a nice lawn conversion, but who, you know, even at $5 a square foot, you're still going to have to pay. It's still going to cost you more. It uh, is. It is. As a result of, you know, doing similar things myself and, and being a part of the the, uh, the uh, Claremont, clean care, Claremont group here in the county and city that I live in, I've seen many people do that, and I've, I've told them and asked them about, you know, how much it costs. $5 a square foot is still not going to make you break even um, because, you know, most people who have done these conversions have come up with costs anywhere between 7 and $12 a square foot to, to do the conversion properly and put the correct amount of plants in that are, are required to qualify for the rebate, the ground cover, the mulching, the hardscape, um, rock rivers, walls, uh, whatever you have to put in. Um, all that stuff expensive. Yeah, so even yeah. Fiona, 
even even Fiona said during the meeting uh, that she, when she presented it nearly the end of it, the first session of it, uh, they spent hundreds of millions of dollars to get to where they got to, and they don't think they can get to the next level. And they're they, and they're not a cash strapped uh, uh, water district. They have money, but you also you're also dealing with. Uh, things that aren't aren't agreed to yet you have the dwr who's come up with calculations and what they want to see versus what the epa is putting out and then there's this term very very variance and that can that can put it all over the board whether it's a good place or a bad place and i i know they're pushing to get it done because that's what the state wants but i think there's going to be a lot more serious discussions and i think there will certainly be a delay in 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 the uh, in the effort even even going out to the 2035 yeah. Well, Rob, I'm going to I'm going to do a juxtaposition here on you, because just as, as the case might be, guess what April is? April is National Lawn Care Month. I don't know if you guys were, were, were aware of that. <laughs> hey, yeah. ha- happy lawn. Happy Lawn Care Month. It is. But, you know, I mean, you, you know, we're talking about converting lawns, uh, taking lawns out and how many how many dollars per square foot that water agencies will give you uh, give you for it. And I know, Rob. Rob, I know this is dear to your heart, but, it, but there's a lot of reasons to have lawn, even here in California, right? Just because of, I mean, not just because of the oxygen production, um, you know, the fact that it can that it can reduce runoff and, and erosion, the fact that it cools your house, the fact that it increases the value of the house, the fact that it sequesters and, uh, you know, carbon captures. I mean, there's tons of reasons to have lawn. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I, I, and and I don't think, I think the important thing is, you know, if you have a lawn and you have kids and you have dogs and you go out and use your backyard, then yeah, I think any lawn that you're using, you should definitely have. But if you have an area, like if you don't ever go out in your front lawn and sit there and use it as a lawn, then that's something that could be something else that takes less water. But I am I am all on all in on functional turf. If you use it, then you should have it. I had kids, I had dogs. They played soccer. You know, we had grass in the backyard. Um, well, you also, you, know. you also got the challenge of putting the rocks down and creating more heat as well too. So oh, that's the base going to go on and on for eternity. Oh no, the rocks are really not good. <laughs> and they they collect all the heat and then they emit it all night. It's, they're actually really really not good. Big thick yeah. rock covers. No. But, and out here in Arizona, when they heat up during the day, you can use it as a barbecue at night. Big, great, wonderful. Just put it <laughs> yeah. on the sidewalk and took it away. Well, Chris, we're up we're up against our commercial break. Uh, I know you may be with us next week. I know you have some things you're you're planning to do, so we may not hear from you next week, but we hope uh, you do what you got to do and, and uh, have a good time at that. And uh, you're coming up to a speech coming up in Scottsdale, and uh, we're going to see you out there for the American Society of Irrigation Consultants, and we'll be talking to you there and doing some recording of that. And uh, again, we thank you very much for coming on the show, and for our listeners, Please go to www.davidsnotebook.com, become a subscriber, and if you would like to do, you can be a sponsor of that. And you get stuff every single day, her latest post, uh, news before the rest of the world gets it. I don't know how she sneaks in. You must have microphones sitting every place. You know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, thank you, Chris, and we will talk to you next week. All right. Good evening, everyone. Have a great week, Chris. Yeah.
talk to you then. All right, we're going to take a little break. We'll be back with our featured guest. We'll stick around for the second half of the Water Zone, and we shall be right back. You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. If you knew there was a pipe cement that works better than the one you're currently using, is better for you and the environment, and costs the same or less, would you buy it? Well, no-brainer, right? Weldon, the trusted leader in solvent cements for over 60 years, is pleased to introduce a new line of solvent cements that does all that. Introducing the Eco-Series line of solvent cements for PVC piping systems. Not only does it work great and set fast, it also has 30% lower solvent emissions and less smelly fumes, a better workplace environment when you're installing pipes. But don't just take our word for it. EcoSeries products are the only solvent cements that are Green Seal certified for environmental innovation for effective performance, improved working conditions, and for use with potable water. Now available in a medium-bodied, fast-setting blue formula, 905 Eco, and a regular-bodied, fast-setting clear formula, 900 Eco. Pick up a can today from your local distributor and see, smell, and feel the difference, just like Joe Sweat, president of Sunrise Irrigation, did. He said, after using Weldon's 905 Eco, we immediately noticed the application was smooth and there was noticeably less odor than other blue solvent cements on the market. The guys love it. To learn more about Eco solvent cements from Weldon, visit the website at www.weldon.com or call the technical service hotline at 877-477-8327. That's 877-477-8327. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system that meet any requirements or regulation. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. Miss your favorite show? Download the podcast at kcaaradio.com. All right, so welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone. I'm Rob Starlow, we Mr. Chris Davey, and we are the hosts again of the Water Zone. And Chris, we have a very interesting special guest today, and I will let you do the honors. Certainly do. It's uh, one of our own, Rob, and I'll be happy to introduce uh, her tonight. We have Inger Norby with us. Inger Norby is, she's the director of Toro's uh, Irrigation Services, which we call the NSN, and I'm going to let Inger tell you a little bit about what that means, but in terms of um, her role, she's, she's sort of like over the whole NSN group, the field service group, aftermarket parts, uh, Toro's controller repair department, a big group over there. Those guys are great. Um, she also supports both 
Toro and Aerosol Redcom products uh, for the commercial MyTurf and GeoLink sprayers. She's got extensive background in leading um, and growing a business, especially at NSN. I know this firsthand. She's led various customer service teams throughout her career. And that's not just at Toro, but when she was with Honeywell and uh, Deluxe Checks before that. Um, Inger's very committed. We know this firsthand, both of us, Rob and I, at to outstanding service and support for our customers. She's always focused on improving customer experiences, and she uses technology and process improvement to do that. I'd like to welcome Inger Nordby to the Water Zone. Welcome, Inger. Well, thank you for that very kind introduction, Chris. And Rob, thanks so much for asking me to be on the show. What an honor. You, you are so welcome. Well, you know, you know, you, you, go ahead, Rob. I was going to say, Chris, uh, uh, Inger has a great, a big voice in, in the MSN business, but she also has a great voice as a singer. You do opera. <laughs> this is true. And a little musical theater and some jazz and all different kinds of fun stuff. Just like you. I know you've got a secret musical passion as well, which is really fun. Uh, yeah. That's true. <laughs> well, first, first, first question I'll kick off with and I'll turn over to Chris was, or is, um, how did you get into this business? And what made you, <laughs> that's what, what interested you to do this? Just curious. <laughs> well, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, like you commented about, you know, being in, in music and that background. Well, when I was in college, um, one of the things I started doing as a part-time job was customer service. And I did everything from ticket sales to catalog sales. And then, you know, it was it seemed to be something I was pretty, you know, good at. It was fun. I enjoyed it. And uh, I was able to do that while I was balancing, you know, back a very long time ago when I was still performing. And uh, so it just kind of evolved over time. And, you know, I've always really enjoyed solving problems and helping both my fellow colleagues at work as well as customers. And I just really enjoyed it. And it kind of grew from there. And my responsibilities over time have grown. And but I've never lost that passion of just really providing that service to customers and taking care of people, which is really at the heart of it when it comes to customer service. That's what it's all about, having that passion to take care of other people and solve those problems. Could you, could you just give us a brief overview of how, what you consider a an NSN-type customer in general and, and, and how that benefits a, a company like ours or anybody else's? Uh, what the importance is of, of having things like that. Absolutely. You know, when I talk to our customers that receive NSN services and, you know, thinking about the traditional NSN service, which is taking care of our large turf customers, primarily golf, you know, they're very busy. And, uh, you know, just like the rest of us, labor resources, those are all in short supply. And at NSN, what we really do is we, we solve problems for them. We make their jobs easier. We help them to make smarter decisions. And we really have that dedication and passion to take care of those customers because we know what a hard job they have. You know, they're out there trying to maintain a, a high-quality turf. I hope everyone's going to tune in for the Masters this weekend so we can see that beautiful turf. Uh, they do it best. And, you know, we're here to make their jobs easier. And it's as simple as that. And we provide that high-quality service, and we enjoy doing it. So it's it's really all about having that passion and, you know, focusing on the customer and delivering those solutions to them. 
Well, before we get any further, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you in just a second, kind of how long you've been doing this, right? Kind of history of uh, NSN tour, and also just so you know, I monitor the chat board, Inger, as we're going through here. So um, you can also tell pe- several people are asking me what does NSN mean. So we'll let you do that. Oh, first, sure. <laughs> let me ask you this question first because I've only been. I'm gonna reveal to people where you guys are located, and that's in Abilene, Texas. Sure. I've been there once. Yeah. Is Panini's Ranch Steakhouse still around? Perini's Ranch is alive and well. I was there last week, and if you ever get to this part of Texas, I highly recommend you make a stop there. Fantastic place. It, it has been recommended as well, and I yeah, and I certainly know <laughs> certainly know certainly know about it myself. Well, uh, great to hear that. First of all, um, so the next time I get a chance to be there, that's definitely going to be on the to do uh, list. So let's go back first. Tell tell our tell our uh, listeners what NSN for sure it is the national support network and it was created about 30 years ago and it was created in partnership with our distributors and with toro and it was eventually an acquisition by the toro company and what we provide is kind of that that connection between when we sell software to manage that large turf what it was developed to be was to make that easier for both our channel partners to be able to sell and maintain as well as for the customers. So it's really providing a, a comprehensive solution to them. So when a customer decides to install Toro Irrigation and they're in the golf large turf space, when they make that initial purchase, they're going to get the NSN National Support Network service with that. And just to be clear, this is actually, while we call it NSN and it's a branded product, it is actually a global solution. And um, this same service we provide both here in Abilene, we take care of all of the Americas. We also have an office in Belgium that takes care of Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And then there's an office in uh, Brisbane, Australia that takes care of all of our Asia Pacific customers. So when they purchase that Toro irrigation, they are going to receive NSN, and they're also going to receive a central uh, that is going to include their software. So the software we're installing right now is called Lynx, and it's been around for a while, but we keep improving it. Uh, And then they're going to also receive, along with that central, a monitor and a keyboard mouse and all those peripheral devices. They're also going to receive some hardware that then connects between that central and basically it's a tool that communicates between that central out into the field. So it sends those signals out that basically says, okay, pop up and let's spray water around and then let's let's pop back down. And so that can either be to a a module that's out buried in the ground, often inside of the sprinkler, or it'll be out to a satellite that's then going to be hardwired out to the actual sprinklers. And so right with the, that, they re- go ahead. Go ahead. Right what? from the start, from the very beginning then, these customers know where to go to get help. That is correct. And they get 24-7 support. Any of those products I'm talking about, as long as they stay active on support, they will get an extended warranty and they will replace that equipment the next business day. And then they also get various digital tools that are also tied to their agreement with NSN. Did we lose you, Rob? 
Did we? I think so. I think Rob, Rob may have oh. dropped off here. So no, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, <laughs> No, the internet is popping in and out here, and I can't try, I can't try to do the video link. I'm assuming you're doing the mobile link, and uh, trying to go back and forth and to, to, to get that. So, so the good thing about the 24/7 is a lot of you know these these uh, let's, let's take a large campus or a golf system. Um, they mm-hmm. can't afford to be down. They they need, they no. need instant help. And and then you also have tracking tools, both software wise, where you can help troubleshoot product from any of from a different location, your headquarters, back to wherever they are their base, which is a good thing. That is correct. Yes, we have the ability to remote in and do a lot of diagnostics to try to, if we can, we want to try to take care of the customer immediately and do you know solutions in that method. But then, you know, if we identify that it looks like indeed there's something wrong with the hardware, we're going to go ahead and replace that that you know that same day and get it to them as quickly yep. as possible. So yeah, we you know we we're open twenty four seven and that's globally that we that we provide that level of support. That means even Christmas Day, Easter Sunday. So you know a lot of our customers, especially as we move to this time of year, you know like I made reference to the masters, but there are going to be major events that are happening um, you know from this point forward. And, you know, they really need that support because keeping that turf really healthy um, and at that high quality is just essential for their their job. Now, is it is it your job to make sure that they have the proper amount of spares? For example, if something goes wrong at the Masters, they don't, they can't shut it down for the day. They have to continue playing. <laughs> <It's> so, <true. laughs> so how 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 does that work? Do you do you have to work with them and say, hey, this is what this is the system that you have, and this is the things that you need to have a minimum of a, a spare list of equipment that's on premises all the time. We do often uh, in partnership with our our channel partners. We work to have uh, spare equipment available that's that's needed for those major events. Yes. Yeah. And so the training, go ahead, Chris. I was just going to ask, Rob, how to, you know, kind of interested, I mean, we've been talking about customers and the end end users, essentially, uh, Inger, up until now. But, you know, what about about the relationship with the distribution network, you know, with the guys who represent us out there um, at the selling market level out in out in the field? What what sort of interaction uh, relationship do you have with with our distribution channel? That's a great question. We have an extremely close relationship with our distributor channel partners. Uh, We work closely with them, especially when we have service type opportunities. We make them aware when when their customers are calling in. And it's very common that, you know, I would be willing to bet if I pulled the call logs from today, we would have had quite a few distributor partners that call in. So the support that we provide is not just to the actual customer that, you know, has purchased this support. It's also the support we provide to our channel. And, you know, we regularly hear from our service technicians, our service managers uh, throughout distribution. And then also on the selling side, we work very closely with our distributor partners to keep customers on support, keep them renewed, because we know if they're having a really positive experience with Toro Irrigation overall, they're that much more likely in the future to buy more Toro products and equipment for us. And that's really what we want. You know, when I go to visit a customer and I pull into that barn and I, you know, walk through, I want to see just an entire sea of red, right? I mean, we all work for the Toro company. And so I want to know that the 
the products that they're using to irrigate and the products they're using to maintain the turf in terms of their mowing equipment and their vehicles and things like that, I want to see that they're all Toro branded products. Does somebody keep a history of what equipment they have and what has been the the good use or the bad use of the product? Um, uh, so they, they can, you know, it's like it's like a car. There's like, you, you know, you go to a car dealership, they have a history of of your of the, all the service that they've done and what they see. You know, this is this is the type of system that you have or car that you have, and and you know, you've been using a lot of oil or do, do we do something like that? Is that what? Uh, and a sense can provide to the customer? We do some of that. So when we think about those, you know, I refer to those as assets. So when we're thinking about their, you know, we have a product called an FIU, field interface unit, the RAU, the radio interface unit, or just a central, we keep, we, we refer to those as assets. And we keep track of those assets, where they go, who they've been with, when we've repaired them, and you know, you, you bring up a good point because there can be a situation where, you know, while it's in our house and, you know, we've brought it in or maybe maybe it's come back to us fairly quickly, like five times in a row, we will yeah. remove assets from service because we do want to keep track. Because, you know, just like with a vehicle, we've you know, most of us have had that experience with kind of a, a lemon. Same thing happens in technology, right? That, you know, it seems like it should be fine, but it's really not. So we want to make sure that we provide that great experience, and when we find one that's not working, let's get it out of service. <laughs> yeah. Is it is it is there a big difference between a legitimate failure and or uh, uh, customer error, customer usage error? You know, we really don't. We're not in that business. Um, you know, we do know that there can be you know customer, you know. You know, they may not understand something or we're not communicating well. And, you you know, you sometimes wonder, well, did we really need to replace that piece of equipment? And we don't look at it that way. Our job is to make sure that the customer is back irrigating as quickly as possible. So, you know, we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that that happens. Well, I I know that's a successful business that you are in charge of. could I ask how many, I mean, I know the number, but uh, how large your operation is it? How many people subscribe to the, the NSN? If you so can it's, say that. It's, it, you know, I don't know that that's really public information, but um, we can <laughs> we can comfortably share that the, the Toro Golf Irrigation business is, is extremely healthy, and uh, we're very proud of the number of customers that we have, and we look forward to growing that in the future. Let's uh, why don't we take... yeah. <laughs> Do you like that? No, I wasn't trying. To, I wasn't trying to get you. It's a substantial size of a business that that you manage. It's not just one or two or fifty or a hundred. It's a whole lot more than that. And and that's all. No, I'll it's, that uh... but, 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 but it's important to know that it, 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 it's it's a business that the customers really want to to have available to them. Exactly. Yes, and when customers expire, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, we're just experiencing it's you know typically around the beginning of the month, and you know, customers really value this this service that we provide and the digital tools that are related to it. And you know, if for whatever reason their service gets disconnected, we we hear from them very quickly. Yep. So customers, 
We have a very high renewal rate, um, and uh, we're, we're fortunate with the market share that we enjoy. Well, let's talk a little bit about the tour de force, right, of NSN, which is really the field service team, you know, probably their yeah. support. And, yeah, their support and all that stuff. Kind of give our listeners a little bit of more, more insight as to, you know, as to what they do. I mean, training's a big part of it, working closely with, mm-hmm. you know, the internal people at Toro, uh, resolving all the field issues. Kind of give us a 30,000-foot 30, 30, view of the field service team. Sure. So the field service team works very closely with NSN that we've just been talking to. They're, you know, they're one of their primary focuses around taking care of the golf customers, so they work closely with them. But Chris, you brought up a really good point. They work very closely also with our engineering and product management team there in our Riverside facility. So where, whether it's everything from identifying some potential situation out in the field to data testing new products. And then, you know, one of the other key things that they all do is, you know, they have territories and they work closely with our channel partners to help train them, um, help with their service organizations, because we certainly want our channel partners to have a thriving, profitable service organization. And that's one of the key things that the, the field service managers are responsible for. So, you know, with that, as you brought up, it's training them on our new products and making sure they understand them, understand how to service them. And then, you know, as with anything, sometimes things don't quote right. Uh, so, you know, working closely with them also to identify if there's some quality issues and making sure that we get those back into our labs so we can evaluate things and, and run things through that process. And of course, keep that direct connection as we were talking before, that connection between the distributor, and the end customer. Important. Absolutely. Very important. Where, where do you see the business of service for the future? Uh, do you, are you looking into AI, artificial intelligence, down the road? You know, we have. Uh, it is certainly something that we are considering. Um, you know, I, I don't know that we're quite, you know, I think we'd like to walk before we run around that, but certainly thinking about maybe suggestion engines or, um, you know, we're, we're looking at some things, we're taking in a variety of data with then, you know, maybe come back. And I don't think we're in a situation with our customers specifically thinking about, you know, the most exclusive turf out there, the golf course. I don't think we're in a situation right now where we would they, where we would feel comfortable to say, oh, we're just going to make these changes on your behalf. I think we would work first towards a suggestion engine of some type um, and work closely with them on that. But in terms of, like, the future of service, I will tell you that one of the things I feel really passionately about is that, you know, service really sells. When customers have a great service experience, they're going to be committed to the brand. And I see that very much as the future for uh, my organization. Well, your organization says what they do and they do what they say and and, and you're able to (laughs) prove it. And and you're you're right. That's an important factor. You know, things things can happen. I mean, product, no matter whose it is, can can have an issue. It's just like bringing your car to the car dealer and they just got to change some simple thing and they keep it for four days and that doesn't make you happy. But you want people who who have compassion, who understand it, and to, and as you say, get them back in business as quick as possible. And that's what your organization do. And, and, and your your organization is a great contributor to, to the overall being of, of, of Toro. 
and we do appreciate all the all the efforts that you do and, and your team. Uh, now, if people are interested in, in getting uh, into that type of business, meaning working for somebody like you or anything else, that's that's a pretty darn good career. And I you think have people so. Yeah. You have people. You have people there. What for twenty, thirty years or more? We do. It's definitely we have. No. We're very proud of our organization and our, our employees' dedication to our customers as well as to Toro, and we think it's a pretty great place to work. Yep, we, we agree. Hey, so um, you know, we've been talking, Inger. We've been talking a lot about golf and commercial customers too, but there is there is the level of support you provide to the you know standard Rescom customer. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. Yes, we have uh, two different teams that are providing support to one team is more focused on the actual homeowner that's calling in for support for our Toro and Irritrol products. And then we also have another team that is a bit more focused on what we would call the centrally controlled irrigation. And you know that's products like you know DXI Sentinel. And uh, that team is, is doing a fantastic job. And they work very closely with um, a number of different groups, both at Riverside as well as with Tom Toodle's team on the on the Redcom side. So they provide a great level of support to our customers and to our uh, contractors and channel partners. Well, well, we, we're we're getting close to our NBC News Hour that we have to let them take over. But uh, Inger, it was awesome. I, I I'd love to have you back and talk into more details about some things, and it's very interesting okay. to me and, and and to our listeners. So. Again, thank you for joining us, and we, we do appreciate it, and I'm glad you're part of our team. Well, great. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you all have a great evening. Thanks so much. You bet, Inger. Thanks great. for coming on the show. All right. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Chris and I want to tell you the most important thing that we need you to do this week is please help keep our planet blue. blue. Yeah. If you like green, you got to have blue. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. KCAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. NBC News Radio. I'm Brian Shook. At least one 10-